Oh, hey, let's give the band a round of applause. Thank you, guys. It's a great song. Hey, a couple things before we begin. Uh, number one, if you can hear it, I'm, I'm losing my voice a little bit. Uh, real great timing for that, right? Um, so if I lose it completely, I'm just going to keep mouthing the words. Zach's going to grab a mic and just guess at what I'm saying. Uh, and so if he does that, don't be alarmed like that's planned for. Um, number two, you know, I recognize today is September 11th. Uh, and so I just want to thank those who have served either in our military or even um, in law enforcement. Uh, and just remember the, the brokenness of our world, but also as we're going to get to see the redemption that we have um, in Jesus. And, and number three, uh, my name is not Chris or Zach. Uh, my name is David. I'm our college ministry director. I'm not an elder, but, but I stand up here under the authority of our elders, uh, unless I sense them, say something wrong, in which case I'm here freelancing on my own, right? That's the, yeah. Um, well, cool. So, hey, I'm not super big into Greek mythology, um, but I'm big into Hamilton. Uh, and there's a line in Hamilton where uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda relates uh, Hamilton to Icarus. And so since hearing that uh, play, that musical, I'm like, oh, okay, this Icarus character. So I looked a little bit more into Icarus. Um, and as Greek mythology goes, uh, Icarus and his father, Daedalus, maybe that's not pronounced right, but they were trapped in this labyrinth uh, by King Minos. Uh, and so the way that they were going to escape was Daedalus, Icarus's father, really master craftsman, uh, he builds these wings out of wax and feathers uh, for them to escape their captivity. And so they both strap their wings on. Uh, as the story goes, they, they fly out. Uh, but, but Icarus's father's instructions were, don't get too close to the sun. Uh, these, these, your wings are made of, of wax. They're made of feathers. Uh, don't get too close to the sun. Um, and so Icarus, as the story goes, uh, he flies up. He enjoys the freedom uh, and the joy of being able to fly. Um, and he gets too close to the sun. Uh, and he gets, his wings uh, burn up. He falls to his doom. Um, and that's the story. So I want you guys to imagine uh, if Icarus was able to just continue flying uh, forever, for as long as his heart desired. Uh, he didn't get too close to the sun. He just got to fly for however long he wanted because he loved that, that instant gratification, that pleasure, that enjoyment. He just got to ride that joy for as long as he so desired. Um, and, and then as he reflects on his flight, he admits it wasn't fulfilling. Uh, and then actually after that, that flight, that enjoyment, that seeking uh, of pleasure, he actually does get burned up by the sun. Welcome to the life of Solomon. So Solomon was the ultimate hedonist. And I think we have the definition for hedonism um, here. But hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure, of sensual self-indulgence. Philosophically, uh, hedonism is the ethical theory that pleasure, in the sense of the satisfaction of desires, is the highest good and proper aim of human life. So Solomon was the greatest, greatest hedonist the world had ever seen and will ever see. He had the resources available to grant any wish and desire that his heart had. And after testing himself to see if the things under the sun could satisfy, he details his quest with a frustrated tone. Now, as Chris said last week, this under the sun mentality for Solomon was, hey, if this life is all there is, if there's no eternity, if it's just the things that we can uh, feel and experience and see under the sun, is there anything worthwhile? Is there anything that will uh, fill my pleasure tank up to the point where it is satisfied? Um, and so then, as I said, he, he reflects in a frustrated tone. And so what I hope the Lord shows us today as we reflect on this, this life of Solomon um, 
is, is I hope and pray that the Lord shows us that he actually desires us to be satisfied. He does. God wants you to be satisfied. He wants you to experience pleasure. He wants you to succeed in this pursuit of pleasure in hedonism. Um, and his desire for our pleasure is actually so much greater than ours. So let's jump in. If, if you're willing and able, will you stand with me? We're going to be reading out of Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 11. Um, and the reason why we stand is not just to stretch our legs uh, in the middle of service. Um, it's to kind of symbolize that we stand on the foundation of God's word. We stand on the foundation of this word, not of, of my words or, or Chris's or, or Zach's, but on the foundation of God's word. And we actually submit under the authority of God's word. And so even my challenge to you this morning is don't hear uh, cool, eloquent words by, by David, but hear the word of God and, and invite the work of the Holy Spirit, the word of the Holy Spirit to penetrate your heart. And so Ecclesiastes 2, starting in verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched my heart, how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers both men and women and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. For the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated, and I'm going to pray. Lord God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for voices, even when they fail us. God, we thank you for your character, for your goodness to us. Lord, I pray that through your Holy Spirit and through your word, we would be just even more re revealed to the goodness of your character, to your love for us, to how worthy you are of worship and how broken we are when we make, when we make ourselves the object of our pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen. So just a real kind of uh, way to frame this. So Ecclesiastes, like the Old Testament, is written with Eastern philosophical influence. So let me explain. So the Old Testament, not, not in a Western mindset of like from A to B, this is, this is where you should go, this is what you should do. But the Old Testament actually paints a picture of Jesus uh, and what is, is not possible to, to save us. So it starts with uh, the law and it goes to the judges. Okay, that doesn't work. It goes to the, the kings. Okay, that doesn't work. The prophets, that doesn't work. And it paints this picture of this doesn't work, but Jesus does. And so Ecclesiastes is similar. Solomon is going through and reflecting, okay, this doesn't work. This doesn't work, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, and we're ultimately going to see 
the only thing that works, which is, which is God himself. Um, so what did Solomon try in his attempt to find worthwhile things to occupy himself with under the sun? We see in verse 3, he started off with wine. Wine tastes good, right? You're allowed to say that. Uh, now, now, some people debate, okay, was this in utter debauchery? Did he just party hard, or was he more of a, a connoisseur seeking the finer things in life? And, and let's just assume it's both, okay? Solomon was able to just find the finer things in life, seek sophistication, find it. Uh, and he also indulged in some pretty rocking parties. Uh, in, in 1 Kings 4, it details the amount of people uh, that, that Solomon was feeding on a daily basis, and it estimates that at about 15,000. And so if you thought, like, Chernobyl was awesome, which it was, uh, imagine putting on a party for 15,000 people. Okay, Solomon didn't do anything halfway, but it didn't work. So he says, okay, I'm going to try labor. In verses 4 through 6, we see that he made great works. He built houses. He built vineyards. He built parks and gardens and, and made himself pools. He, he accomplished things, uh, and he had that inward pleasure of a hard day's work. He worked hard. He got to the end of the day and said, I was productive. He built the temple. He accomplished things. He built the temple of God. He built himself a house. It took him 14 years. He built a house for every single one of his wives. And we'll see later, that was actually a really huge endeavor because he had a lot of them. Um, but the point is, nobody constructed more than Solomon. No one can claim, yeah, I, I accomplished more. I, I can relate more to a, a, a productive day's worth work because Nobody here can claim that they constructed more or worked harder or felt more productive than Solomon. But it didn't work. It wasn't satisfying. It didn't fulfill. So, okay, I'll try to create my own paradise. We see that in verses 5 and verses 7 and 8. He actually recreates Eden for himself. So the Garden of Eden, as we see in Genesis, uh, there's language here in, in all kinds of fruit trees. In verse 5, we actually see that that's a hint to bring us back and, and think about the Garden of Eden. So Solomon says, okay, I've read the Torah, I've read Genesis, I read how great the Garden of Eden was. I'll create my own with no rules, no forbidden fruit. I'll just create my own Eden, create my own paradise. Didn't work. He had wealth. He had, he had everything at his disposal. As Chris said last week, he, his net worth was between 20 billion and 1 trillion. Uh, but regardless, that's a lot of money, okay? So, so the, the paradise of just having everything at your disposal. He did not keep his eyes and heart from any pleasure, and that actually helped him uh, increase in fame. Um, so this idea of, of having everything at your disposal makes me think of this movie called Blank Check. It's, it's a movie, hey, yeah, somebody? Yeah, Blank Check, great movie, right? Uh, so, so the premise of the movie, you know, came out maybe 20 years ago, but basically, uh, you know, this seven or eight-year-old kid uh, was riding his bike, he gets hit by a millionaire, and the millionaire just writes him a blank check. So the kid walks into this bank, uh, and, he, and he cashes the check, and he, not knowing to him, receives a million dollars. I mean, can you imagine, like, seven or eight having a million dollars? That's awesome. Everything at your disposal. And so I, I resonated with that kid because I was like, man, if I had that much money, I would get myself a butler. Like, I, I would get all the toys and all the amusement and all the fun. And, and, and the kid in the movie, you know, he, he does all that, and it ultimately ends up to him with this, like, you know, philosophical questioning of, like, you know, was this actually really all worth it? So good movie, check it out. Um, but for the kid and for Solomon, this idea of paradise, of, of comfort and ease, and just all this amusement, it didn't work. So he says, okay, I'll be philanthropic. I will do things for others. 
uh, he reminds me of my friend Recyclops uh, or Dwight Schrute from uh, The Office um, who went green. Okay, Solomon goes green. He builds forests. He builds irrigation pools. Uh, you know, he, he improves the environment. Um, and then even in verse 7, he says, I bought male and female slaves. And so this is not our idea of American slavery. Uh, this, this, the Bible does not promote slavery as we know it in our context. Um, think of these slaves more as like attendants or, or servants or bodyguards. Uh, and actually, oftentimes, uh, the, the, the purchasing of slaves and having slaves born into your household was actually better for them than, than what they were doing, you know, outside of that. And so you can even make the argument that Solomon is, is seeking pleasure from helping other people. He says, okay, I'll, I'll purchase these slaves and, and they'll be in my palace and, and I want to do something good for them and, and this is uh, an environment that's better for them and it doesn't work. So he tries music. He didn't just download Spotify. He didn't just buy the, the hottest CD. He had the accessibility, as we said, to, to buy the band, uh, male and, and female uh, uh, choir people, uh, singers. Um, he, he indulged in the arts. Didn't work. How about sex? First Kings 11 said Solomon had a thousand total women, 700 wives, 300 concubines, a lot of women at his disposal to, to do as he pleased. Um, and that's actually what, what led to his destruction. Uh, we, we see that in First Kings, that um, his marriage to all of those wives uh, actually draw, drew his heart away from the Lord and set Israel on this path. Uh, catastrophic uh, path towards dividing the kingdom, and that's for another day. But it is worth noting, so, so those are all the things that Solomon tried, didn't work. It's worth noting that we see a couple times in this passage that Solomon's wisdom remained with him. It says it in verse 3, my heart's still guiding me with wisdom, and after all of that in verse 9, my wisdom also remained with me. I think for me it's easy to look at Solomon as a fool, like, don't you know these things like, won't work? You, you know God. Uh, Solomon was no fool. He, he was trying. He was making this attempt, this quest, as we said, to see if this life is all there is, is there anything worth doing? So we've seen what not to do, right? Pleasure and satisfaction come if we just abstain from the things that Solomon did. Wrong. For a few reasons. Uh, we could debate where Scripture actually talks about these things in a positive light, but let's not miss the deeper issue of Solomon's quest. His biggest mistake was that it was all about him, his pleasure, his enjoyment, his joy, his entertainment. He was the object of his pleasure. He had an orientation of everything around self. Y'all know the people who say, like, man, the world just revolves around them. Solomon would have been like, yes, like, that's a compliment. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get the world to revolve around me and see if it's worth it. That's my goal. Here's the proof. In, in verse 1, he says, I will test you with pleasure. In verse 3, he wanted to cheer his body, my body, with wine. Verse 4, built and planted for myself. Verse 5, made myself gardens and parks. Verse 6, made myself pools. Verse 7, I bought and brought them into my house. Even his philanthropy was oriented around himself. Verse 8, he gathered for myself, right? I became great. I kept my heart from no pleasure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Solomon, we see the root of his quest was all about pleasing himself, his own heart's desires, and ultimately it left him empty. Unfortunately for us, we are strikingly similar. 
Let me address where I think most of us are in light of this. I'm going to take a sip of water. I don't like silence. So just, okay, we made it through. Whew. Some of us learn this and feel convicted. Okay, that's where I sit. Like, yes, conceptually, logically, I can totally get behind this. Solomon lived it up more than anyone. He had nothing satisfy him, but he had the credibility of, of anybody, more than anybody in the universe. So pleasures under the sun are indeed futile. Like, that makes sense. Um, but my actions, unfortunately, say otherwise. And that, that convicts me. Because if I really actually believe this, then my life would look pretty different. Um, for me right now, I act as if uh, I believe Solomon would have been satisfied if he just had some screens, man. Just get yourself in front of a screen. Instagram, that'll satisfy. ESPN, sports, Netflix, NCAA College Football 14. I'm the greatest at that game, just saying. Uh, YouTube, the list goes on. I operate as if these things will br bring me rest, bring me joy, bring me satisfaction. Now, I wouldn't like say that to you. I wouldn't say that those things bring satisfaction and pleasure more than God does, but that's often what my life looks like. And, and maybe for you, you're like, okay, I, I'm not about screens, but man, if Solomon was watching the Super Bowl a few years ago and saw this catch, man, he would have experienced true pleasure and satisfaction. I mean, we are all still riding that high, okay? If he could have just watched that game, been cheering, cheering for the Steelers, he would have found what he was looking for. No, right? What is it for you? Don't answer with your mind. Just look back on your last month, your last week, and take note of the places that you've sought to please yourself. Now, let me speak to those of you who have stayed pretty defensive. Your thoughts might be, hey, I, I don't drink. I don't work hard, or I, I'm not an alcohol, or uh, a workaholic. I don't idolize comfort. I can suffer. I help people for their sake and not my own. I don't have a lot of money. I hate music. The arts are lame, or I've kept sex within the biblical boundaries. Now, first, I, I really don't want to discount, discount the power of the Holy Spirit in some of you. I know that some of those statements are celebrations in your heart because of the transformative power of God, and praise him for that. My challenge to some of you and often to myself is what is our motivation? See, even at our best, we often find ourselves still putting on our religious hats and seeking God for the sake of our own pleasure. It feels good to us, at least temporarily, to be good and abstain from the bad things. Like anybody else get up in the morning and pray and read their Bible so that once their workday starts, they feel better. It's like, man, if, 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 I, if I check my prayer box, if I check my Bible reading box, then once the workday starts, I'll just feel better about myself. And, and I know that's what I'm supposed to do. And so for the sake of my pleasure, yes, I'll go to God because that's what I'm supposed to do. We so often are, are hedonists, just like Solomon, deceiving ourselves that if we can just feel good and experience pleasure by any means possible, we'll be all right and we won't feel any emptiness. Now, God has just declared through his word that this endeavor is futile. One commentary put it like this. Solomon had the most success, most, more than you. The best house, houses, more than you. The most possessions, the richest lifestyle, the most sophistication, the finest wines, the most incredible parties and feasts. Sorry, Steve, Cornoble, it doesn't measure up. Uh, the greenest lawns, the best servants, more money than we could possibly imagine, military fame, popularity, endless entertainment, and as much, as much sexual pleasure as anyone could ever indulge in. 
and, and he compares it to chasing the wind. You ever try to chase wind before? I, I didn't get much practice. My sister was actually afraid of the wind until she was like 17. Um, due to a dream that she had when she was five, and, and you can roast her for that if you ever meet her. Um, but let's just pretend, okay, after the service today, we go outside, the rain has subsided, and it's windy. And everyone just starts chasing the wind, trying to grab a hold of it, running as fast as you can. We would look pretty foolish. I think Chris would slip a disc. I think I would tear another ACL. Like, but, but it would just look silly. It would look dumb. Like, who are those people, and why are they chasing after imaginary things that they can't catch? So how exciting is it that, that, that we can read this and we can be saved the dumb tax by learning from the life of Solomon? One more silence break. Okay. Let's get to the good news. If we can't be satisfied with the pursuit of pleasure under the sun, maybe we should look outside of this temporal realm for the solution. So here are a few verses about what God says about pleasure. Psalm 16, verses 9 and 11. No wonder my heart is glad, the psalmist says, and I rejoice. My body rests in safety, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. The pleasures of living with you forever. Psalm 37, 4. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 35, 27, and 28, but give great joy to those who came to my defense. Let them continually say, great is the Lord who delights in blessing his servant with peace. Then I will proclaim your justice and I will praise you all day long. Acts 17, 25, and human hands can't serve his needs, can't serve God's needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. See, the argument that the Word of God makes is not that you have bad desires. It's just that your desires are misguided and honestly pretty weak. Let me explain it like this. So in 105 days, there will be this holiday, and the holiday we call Christmas. And I love Christmas. I listen to Christmas music 24-7, 365. Uh, you can roast me for it, but I love it. I'm ashamed about it. Um, so my mom loves Christmas at our house. Uh, and what she does, she used to, like, code each present with, like, a number and a clipboard, uh, just so that, like, she would remember everything. But now, she, like, instead of color coding presents, she, like, wrapper codes them. So, like, my, you know, presents will be wrapped with this wrapping paper, and my siblings' presents will be wrapped with this wrapping paper. Um, and so just imagine that I walk in the door, uh, you know, it's Christmas, or I walk downstairs, uh, and I'm just so excited about the wrapping paper that I see. Like, Sweet. I got this wrapping paper, uh, and I don't open the gift, but I, I'm just constantly seeking that wrapping paper, and I'm like, well, gifts with that wrapping paper don't really satisfy. I'm going to take the gifts with this wrapping paper. Okay, that wrapping paper is good for a season, but now I'm going to try to get this wrapping paper. How foolish of me. Just open a dang present and, and experience, like, the joy and fulfillment in, in what's inside, but, but it's foolish, right, to, to see ourselves or to see myself just having such a low bar for, for excitement and pleasure. Yeah, I just want the pretty wrapping paper. Why don't I open the present? C.S. Lewis says it like this uh, in his work, Weight of Glory. And the quote's on the screen. I'm going to read it. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, 
it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is being offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't even imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. And because God desires our greatest pleasure, he calls us to delight in himself. Now, why is this not egotistical, right? Why is God's invitation for us to delight in himself, not him being prideful, not him being egotistical? Well, we've just seen that nothing under the sun will satisfy us, right? So if this is true, we have to stand on that foundation. If Ecclesiastes 2 is true, if Solomon's reflection is worth believing, then nothing under the sun will satisfy us. And it is by God's immeasurable grace that he would be about his glory because by drawing all attention away from us and toward himself, he exalts the only one who can actually make us happy forever. God being jealous for our praise is one of his greatest acts of love towards us. See, orienting everything around ourselves is so devastating, but orienting everything around God, who is satisfied in himself, is such good news. See, every time I approach God for him, and nothing else, as, as that song that we sang, uh, uh, the, the second song that we sang, if, if I approach God for him and nothing else, just to delight in him, I am wholly satisfied. And he is glorified. So if you want to glorify God, be satisfied in him and with nothing else, no one else but him. So what can we conclude from this? Based on the scriptures, we can say that God wants you to succeed in your quest for pleasure. Your quest for pleasure fails if your pursuits are focused on things under the sun. God and his love calls you to stop looking for pleasure in foolish, futile things that ultimately will not satisfy. And he calls you to delight in himself. See, this is where I find this difficult, albeit awesome. I like things to be black and white, I like doctrine that is simple, clear-cut. I don't like sitting in the gray. See, black and white from this is, this is exactly how you delight in the Lord. This is exactly when you delight in the Lord. This is the formula. And the gray is just to simply ponder and question and wonder. For me, what does it look like to delight in the Lord? How do I do that? See, like, like what does it look like for me to delight in the Lord when I brush my teeth, when I I'm studying for an exam when I'm driving home from work. And honestly, I don't know the answer to that for you. And I'm, I'm finding what the answer is for me. But I'm confident in saying that if we learn to delight in the Lord, uh, those things will begin to become more enjoyable. Taking a test when your entire satisfaction is in God means that you can just enjoy and be content no matter what. Cheering for the Steelers when your entire satisfaction is in God means that you can just enjoy and be content no matter what. Amen. Your family's annoyance or the, the jerk of a driver who does not have as much, uh, the, the jerk of a driver who cut you off does not have much effect when your entire satisfaction is in God and not how other people or how life is affecting you. I implore you, I implore myself to light in the Lord. It might be to 
be indulgent. Delight in the Lord might be indulgence. It might be restraint. It may be both. It may be neither, and it may flip-flop every day. It, it may be, I'm going to indulge in this in the delight of the Lord today, and then tomorrow I'm actually going to restrain myself. It, it doesn't have a clear black and white formula. So let's sit in the gray. So, so my question to you that I, I want you to, to consider and ponder is, what does it mean for you to delight in the Lord? What does it mean for you to actually just delight in the Lord? We're going to take a, a, a 60 seconds to just think about that, ponder that. Uh, and, and we have this Connect card. Uh, and so if you're new here, I'd love for you to fill us out. If, if you're not new, but just have a prayer request, write a prayer request. We would love to pray for you. Um, so I'm going to pray. We're going to take about 60 seconds, and then Chris is going to come up and, and do, or somebody's going to come up and do communion. Um, but, but just think about, pray, pray to the Lord. Lord, what does it look like for me to just delight in you? And, and consider this even throughout your week. So, so let's pray. God, I just thank you. I thank you that we have the ability to delight in you. I thank you that we can glorify you by just being satisfied in you. I thank you for challenging us and showing us that we are far too easily pleased by seeking the pleasures and desires of this world and and that it's actually good news for even today for us to, to put aside the things that, that we might think give us pleasure and we can just turn our eyes and affections and hearts towards you. And that is not only what you command, but it's worth it, God. It actually is for our good to just delight in you, to praise you, to, to make you the object of our worship and our pleasure. Give us help in that, Lord. Uh, and even please give us help in, in understanding what that looks like for our lives. Thank you ultimately for just the goodness that you have done uh, in sending your son Jesus uh, to live, die, and, and be raised again so that we might have a relationship with you. We glorify you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Spend another 60 seconds just pondering, and then we're going to do a communion reflection.